welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. The Center for Investment Excellence is an audio podcast that provides educational insights across asset classes and investment themes. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for making time to join us today. My name is Joe Staccato, and I am a client advisor and the corporate pension sector head in J.P. Morgan's North American institutional business. Before beginning today's call, I just want to say that I hope that all of you and your families and colleagues are safe and keeping well in this new reality. It certainly has been a tough period of time for all of us, and we truly are all in this together. Moving on, for today's call, I'm pleased to introduce my colleagues, Steve Lear, U.S. Chief Investment Officer of our Global Fixed Income Currency and Commodities Group, and Justin Rucker, Portfolio Manager on Steve's team. Over the next hour or so, we'll have a discussion about the benefits of diversifying away from traditional corporate credit in liability-driven investment strategies and into high-quality spread diversifiers like agency mortgage-backed securities. Those of you that have been working with us know that this is not a new idea at J.P. Morgan. We've been talking about this for the better part of four or five years. However, considering that the LDI playbook has been developed over the past 15 years, We think that the current environment presents a challenge that might require a couple of new chapters to the playbook. One chapter should be about spread diversification. Before getting deeply into today's topic, Steve, can you make some opening comments on the state of the economy and give us your market outlook? Sure. Thanks, Joe, and thanks to all who are listening in. I guess we all appreciate that nowadays market outlooks and the state of the economy are more uncertain than we're used to. First and foremost, we're dealing with a public health crisis. And so to understand where the economy is going, we have to make assumptions about the outcome of the COVID-19 pandemic. I think we also have to appreciate that what has kept us, we hope, from a depression has been a tremendous amount of fiscal and monetary support as we calculate it more than we saw through all of the global financial crisis. But instead of being spread over two and a half years, we've received the support in about six weeks. So not only do we have to make assumptions about public health outcomes, we also have to have forecasts and thoughts about the socio-political response to the pandemic and whether and how we will see further support from fiscal and monetary policy to support the economy and markets. We are not surprised to see that markets have rebounded strongly given the response we've seen from Washington, D.C. It's quite heartening to see all our politicians, for the better part, working together to respond to this pandemic. For those of you who I've spoken with Two months ago, in in the worst of the crisis, we talked about three things that we needed to see before markets would be on firmer footing. The first, again, since it's a public health issue, was some improvement in the battle in the U.S. against the pandemic, which we identified as the rate of new cases falling, which is not to say new cases falling, but rather the growth in new cases falling. And we've seen that. We needed support for the market from the Fed, and we got that. And we needed a fiscal response to replace the lost income from sheltering in place. 
And I think it's really important to spend a couple of minutes thinking about this concept of lost income from sheltering in place. So as we think about it, we're going to see a giant hole, call a chasm, in the economy in the second and third quarters. And I want to give some context for this. Through all of the global financial crisis, the worst that incomes fell was a little short of 4%. We have an economy which is running at $20 trillion a year, less plus. So that's about $5 trillion worth of income that the United States generates every quarter. We are forecasting not a 4% drop, but a 10% absolute drop, not annualized, in the second quarter with only a small rebound in the third quarter. So the way I think of that, the way we think of that is of that $5 trillion in the second quarter, $500 billion worth of income is missing, is unavailable to service debts and to pay back lenders and bondholders such as us. And by us, I mean all of us on this call. And then in the third quarter, we'll need another $500 billion. And we won't actually see income get back up to where it was at the fourth quarter of 2019 for about three years. And frankly, if our forecasts are right, we won't see the economy get back to the trend line it had been on before this terrible pandemic for the better part of a decade. Contrasting that chasm, contrasting that valley, that lack of income, there has been fiscal response. And so, again, as we calculate it, between extended unemployment insurance and one-time checks and other measures under the CARES Act, there's about $1.6 trillion, if we include in the PPP program and the money given directly to consumers, that covers, that more than covers two quarters of the loss of income, which should allow most individuals and businesses to cover their expenses during this period of self-imposed quarantine. What we don't know, and this is why it matters, why we need to understand the political response is if we're still in some level of social distancing, so significant portions of the economy and we've all talked about what they are, whether it's leisure, hospitality, restaurants, the like, whether there will be further stimulus to, not stimulus, sorry, I'm going to take a sidestep here for a second. None of this is stimulus. It's replacing lost income. Stimulus is when you build something new. This is just relief for people who have lost income. So we have to ask ourselves, how long does the shutdown or the quarantine last? And how vigorous is the federal government in terms of replacing the lost income? Our view as lenders is that losses will not be distributed equally. And, you know, we can all think there, unfortunately, when we get through this, we don't believe we will be fully through it and back to the lifestyle and the economy that we're used to until there's an actual vaccine, an effective vaccine, and literally billions of doses are administered, or until there's an effective treatment. We have alternate scenarios for how long that might take, and 
people understand that we may never get a vaccine. There are still viruses for which there are no vaccines or through the miracle of artificial intelligence and a world of scientists working cooperatively, we may actually have a vaccine in 2020. Both those scenarios for us are not the base case. They're outliers. Based on the epidemiologists we have spoken with at J.P. Morgan Asset Management and the best research we can corral, we actually do believe that the consensus of the second half of 2021 is the best time to expect to have a vaccine developed, manufactured, and administered. And while this sounds somewhat depressing, it's the situation, you know, we can invest money for clients on the basis of hopes. We have to base it on data. As the governor of New Jersey says, data determines dates. We see that there is a significant loss of income and it will be unevenly spread. So as lenders, we have to separate out not the winners from the losers, but the survivors from the losers. So in just one or two minutes more, I'll say that companies and individuals are borrowing money to sustain their expenses during the period of social distancing, which will last for quarters, and many will make it through, and there will be second-order effects we can't gauge. It may be as simple as your dentist. You know, you don't think of as someone who is struggling for money, but while the office is closed or while they can only take a fraction of the prior patients, the expenses remain. The undocumented, people who, you know, if the government doesn't continue the unemployment insurance past July for minimum wage workers. So these people will struggle to service their debts, and we as lenders of your money are spending all our attention understanding who will be able to serve their debts over this period of social distancing and have a sustainable business model when we get to the other side. So those are some thoughts on the economy and markets. I would just say in closing, we're concerned that there's too much happy talk and too much good news priced into, frankly, equity prices given the expectation we have that we are living in some level of shutdown for the better part of another five quarters. Thanks, Steve. Look, I think there's no doubt it's a tough message, and these are definitely tough markets. And, you know, we work with a lot of CIOs of defined benefit plans, and I think that they kind of, on the back of 2019, with strong markets and not seeing any real material improvement in funded status, you know, they may be looking at this market and saying, you know, what do we do now? Steve, given a common profile, let's just say plan sponsor, maybe 80-ish percent funded, maybe a little less, a little more, perhaps they're carrying a hedge ratio for the liabilities somewhere between 40, 50 percent, duration of those liabilities, maybe 10 to 12 years. What's your advice to that client given what you just spelled out and the prospects for the rates and levels of rates, et cetera. Okay, let me start with a very brief mealy mouth (laughs) disclaimer that every plan is different and every sponsor is different. Having said that, as the CIO for fixed income, I think this is the first time in 20 plus years, I would say that it's not a good time 
to hedge interest rate risk in a pension plan. And I want to be clear, you know, within the last week or two, we've spoken with Yellen, we've spoken with Bernanke, and we understand that the Fed funds rate is going to be zero for most of this decade. If you think about the global financial crisis and the relatively small size of lost income we were speaking of and the duration of that, and the Fed funds rate was at zero for seven years afterwards, we think that for most of this decade, the funds rate will be zero. So that would tend to indicate that maybe there's not much risk and people should grab whatever income they can get from the bond market. But I have to be honest that one and a quarter on the 30-year, we don't see that breaking significantly higher anytime soon. There's just so much demand from the insurance community, the pension community, the Asian life community that We're not forecasting rates significantly higher, but the bigger question is, do bonds provide the income you need? Do they provide the diversification benefit that an investor typically gets from owning bonds in a portfolio of bonds, real assets, cash, and stocks? And I think that, you know, the conclusion we come to is no. So... I think that requires sponsors to make one of two choices. And this gets back to my first comment about what's the right thing for the generic plan to do. You would have to choose to live with a higher level of volatility from your equities, because if equities can't be hedged, then the volatility will be higher. Or you have to live with a lower expected return by reducing your equity to maintain your volatility target. And then there's questions which this call I hope will answer about how do you get further diversification benefits to lower volatility and help you maintain a risk profile. Thank you very much for that. And that's exactly where we want to try to get to. May not be the case for increasing hedge ratios, but maybe it's a time to look at what's in those hedge portfolios and see what improvements can be made there. Last question for you, Steve, and then we'll pivot over to Justin. What makes spread diversification so relevant now? Well, again, if a stylized 60-40 portfolio isn't diversified because the bonds can't really go up in price much, our assumption is that we will not see negative rates on treasuries. That is an assumption. Then you have to be creative about how you get diversification benefits. So typically, you know, our clients are looking at portfolios of equities and long corporate credit. And we've been talking for over five years, having conversations about how securitized should be part of the equation. And frankly, in response to clients who come to us and say, I keep seeing that corporate America is getting more and more levered, you know, taking a step back in time, when I got into the business in the early 80s, there were a plethora of AAA and AA issuers, but now we know, everybody knows the statistics, over 50% of the Barclays aggregate index is rated triple B. That is, first of all, risky. If they get downgraded to junk, plans are required to sell or many plans are required to sell. And so that doesn't provide you the diversification. The issuers who are the biggest issuers in the credit index are the same issuers that are the largest issuers in your equity portfolios. So your bonds, once again, are not diversifying your equities. They're correlated there, too. And then finally, as we saw in March, 
you really needed something in your plan that was liquid that you could liquidate during periods of risk off in order to pay benefits or use the opportunity to increase equities if that was what was being done. Long credit is not within the Fed's purchase programs. Short credit is zero to five year, but there's relatively little of that in our pension plans. On the other hand, the long securitized portfolios that we manage hold bonds, which are on the Fed's purchase program. Justin can talk more about that. So we see the opportunity to increase portfolio credit quality by going from triple B corporate credit into agency credit, improve liquidity, and improve diversification benefits. So that's the result of conversations like this that we've been having with clients over a period of years. Great. Thank you very much, Steve. Justin, we're going to turn to you now as the PM specialist on our uh, long securitized strategy. Before we get into some of the details that Steve has set us up with, why don't we level set? What do we mean by long securitized? Sure, thanks. So I think most people on the call are probably familiar with securitized within the aggregate universe. So there's three major sectors. You have mortgage-backed securities, you have asset-backed securities, and then commercial mortgage-backed securities. The opportunity set for the long duration space is going to be much different than what you would typically find in the aggregate index. Let me explain that real quick. So typically the loans that back a securitized asset are going to be relatively short in nature when you refer to the asset-backed securities market. The commercial mortgage-backed securities market are typically going to be made up of loans that are 10 years and shorter. So that leaves us in the long space with an opportunity set that is primarily made up of agency-backed mortgage-backed securities and agency-backed commercial mortgage-backed securities. And these particular securities are structured in a way that they have underlying collateral, and that collateral is really going to be what backs the bond. So the principal and interest of a mortgage-backed security is going to be paid through the underlying collateral of the residential mortgage. And then on the multifamily side, it's going to be the exact same. The nice thing about the growth of both of these sectors over the last 10 years is that a lot of them, especially the agency CMBS market, they've started to come out with longer maturing bonds. So the opportunity set in the long duration space is primarily going to be agency-backed, which eliminates any sort of credit risk that you may have in your portfolio. It provides an adequate amount of spread over the treasury curve, and they're structured in a way that protect you from prepayments, which most people know that is one of the biggest deterrents in buying a mortgage-backed pass-through security that you would find in the aggregate universe. So just to give you an example of the size, the agency CMO market is roughly about $1.1 trillion, and the agency CMBS market is roughly about $700 billion. Got it. Okay. That's very helpful. I appreciate that because I know there's a lot of lingo that gets tossed around in this corner of the bond market, and you know, getting a clearer picture of what we're talking about is very helpful here. Let's go back to the points that Steve was kind of transitioning to. So now that we have a better understanding, which I mean by long securitized, 
Let's talk about the composition of the corporate market and just what are some things that compare and contrast your market to the corporate market? I know that the headlines are issuances off the charts, corporations are grabbing as much cash as possible. Give us some of the details there. Sure. I think everybody's aware of the corporate credit market issuance that's occurred this year. So with the COVID crisis, you have a lot of corporate issuers that are out there tapping the corporate credit markets, trying to improve the liquidity of their balance sheets. Right now, that's the most important thing to them. They're not concerned about how much leverage they're taking on. It's more about shoring up liquidity. So the actual amount of issuance in the corporate credit market this year has roughly been about $950 billion. At the same time last year, it was around $475 billion. So it's almost double what we've seen year over year. We already came into the COVID crisis with very levered balance sheets. So with low interest rates over the last, let's call it 10 years, the corporate credit market has taken advantage of low cost of funding. So coming into this COVID crisis, we knew that corporate credit balance sheets were already levered. Rating agencies were giving them the benefit of the doubt to reduce leverage over time. And then lo and behold, we have this crisis that all of us are dealing with today. So when we look at this market versus the market that we would be investing in on the long securitized side, we look at the corporate credit side as a market that has an extreme amount of risk for downgrades. Just to give you a couple examples, the long corporate credit, A or Better Universe right now has almost 40% that has a negative outlook or a negative watch assigned to it by one of the three big rating agencies. 15.5% of that is in single A minus. So you roughly have about 15% of the corporate A universe that is at risk of being downgraded out of that index. And that's really the underlying issue that I think all of us need to think about right now. You have the Fed that's been supporting corporate credit ever since the beginning of April, at least talking about it. They've created two facilities to purchase short corporate credit, and that's going to be roughly corporate credit five years and under. So what we've seen is we've seen the corporate credit curves steepen where the short end has outperformed the long end. And in the long corporate space, that has not benefited nearly as much. So as Steve mentioned, you really want to be doing in looking at particular parts of the market where the Fed is supporting. So as I mentioned, the long agency CMBS bonds that we find is an opportunity as a diversifier against long corporate credit, they actually have been purchased by the Fed. So the Fed has been going out, they assigned BlackRock to purchase bonds, And about once or twice a week, they will actually buy bonds from the market, and that has improved the liquidity of that market. In addition to that, the Fed has been buying mortgage-backed pass-through securities, and that has really helped shore up the mortgage-backed securities market. The opportunity in the long space is more going to be in the long CMO type of structures, but that also has benefited simply from the Fed coming in and buying. So to sum all that up, we really see a lot of risk right now in the corporate credit market, especially in the long end. And now more than ever is a time where you want to start thinking about diversifiers, especially into a sector that still provides spread and is able to give you that long duration profile without having any sort of credit risk assigned to it. Thank you for that. Listening to your comments here, I hear the long corporate market is in question. 
that there appears to be relative to the long corp market. There's technical support on the long securitized part of the market. Talk to me a little bit about the fundamentals supporting the securitized market. What is there? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, the fundamentals of the long securitized market that we find as the best and the largest opportunity set are going to be backed by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or Jenny Mae. So they guarantee that you're going to receive back your principal at par if any of the underlying loans that back those deals default. So there's essentially no credit risk there. Now, the underlying fundamentals are something that we keep a close eye on. So if you think about the multifamily complexes and you think about people losing their jobs, you start thinking about, okay, there are going to be missed rent payments. There's going to be people that are going to have to foreclose on their homes. So when we look at the underlying collateral of the opportunities that we'd be buying in long securitized, the nice thing about the agency CMBS market is that there are new requirements now. So one of them is that anytime a new agency CMBS or DUS security is issued, they must escrow at least 12 to 18 months of principal and interest. So any new issue that we would be buying is a much safer issue than in the past. Another thing is, too, that forbearance is something that is allowing people to defer their payments for 60 to 90 days, help them kind of bridge that gap until they get rehired or if they are furloughed, come back to work. So it's somewhat of a, you know, kind of a bridge loan, if you will, until the economy approves. So the underlying fundamentals of the long secure days market are probably better than they have been in a while, especially with the protection that you're going to get. That's the complete opposite on the corporate credit side. And, you know, the two things I would point out, I already pointed out about how much issuance there's been, which is increasing the amount of debt on the balance sheets for corporate credit issuers. The other piece of the leverage equation is your earnings. And when we look at projections of earnings over the course of the rest of the year, projections for earnings are down 20%. So if you have debt going up and you have earnings coming down, your leverage ratio is going to go up. And that is one of the primary things that rating agencies are going to look at. So fundamentally, the corporate credit market is deteriorating And we think that the long securitized space, especially the bonds that we would be buying, are going to be perfectly fine when it comes to a credit risk standpoint. But on top of that, they're putting in extra measures to really support that market. Thank you very much. Justin, the answer to the last question demonstrated some expertise in this area. Can you elaborate on J.P. Morgan's history in the securitized market and maybe some of the resources that we have in this area? Yeah, sure. So this is not something new to GFIC within J.P. Morgan. We have been utilizing the securitized markets as a diversifier and a sector that provides a lot of relative value for 30-plus years. So we've been utilizing this in corporate-only mandates. We've been utilizing it in multi-sector mandates for many, many years. This is really something that's been ingrained in our DNA. So we have an extremely strong team of portfolio managers that have been taught the way to look at these markets, how to look at relative value. On top of that, we also have a very strong credit research team. 
that is out there looking at the underlying collateral, looking at how these deals are structured. So the moral of the story is that this is an opportunity we think is extremely ripe for this particular time in the market. But we have been using this particular part of the market for many other of the downturns within the corporate credit cycle. And it's always been an area that's provided a lot of diversification and lower volatility to the portfolios that we manage, not to mention tremendous relative value when you compare it to other sectors. So we have a plethora of portfolio managers, credit research analysts, as well as support from our investment specialists, CPMs, if you will, that all really know these sectors and are happy to jump on calls and talk to clients about them at any time. Great. Thank you. I'm going to ask one more market-related question at this moment here. You started your portion of the conversation, Justin, talking about level setting around securitized. I think there has been a fair amount of market discussion around the broader securitized market. Can you comment? I mean, there's been a divergence in performance between agency MBS and non-agency MBS. Can you comment on some of the drivers and maybe what the experience has been in those markets and distinguish them? Obviously, we're trying to distinguish them. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, with the agency CMBS market, as I mentioned, there's no credit risk. You're backed by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or Jenny Mae, depending on the program that you're investing in. With the non-agency CMBS market, you obviously are subject to credit risk. And another thing is that this market predominantly is made up of conduit CMBS, which basically means that when you look under the hood at what the collateral of these particular securities are, it's a mixture of different exposures. It could be hotels. It could be multifamily units. It could be strip malls. It could be big mega malls. So you're going to have a lot of diversification with the underlying collateral is, but it's very difficult to underwrite and predict how each of those sectors are going to perform. So I think that because we're in an environment right now where hospitality and retail and hotels are all under extreme pressure due to the lockdown, that people look under the hood at what the collateral of the non-agency market is. And it's very difficult to assess the risks that you're exposed to. Whereas on the agency CMBS side, the majority of what we buy are single loans. So we are able to go on to Fannie Mae's website, and typically what we're buying are multifamily properties. We can look on the Fannie Mae website. We can see exactly what the property is. We can see what the debt service coverage ratios are, the LTV, the occupancy. It's very transparent and very easy to underwrite, so you know exactly what you're getting. So as volatility and uncertainty has increased over the last three months, that's why you're seeing such a dislocation between non-agency CMBS and agency CMBS. So just to give you an indication on levels, typically the difference between the two on a spread basis is roughly about 30 to 40 basis points. So right now you have non-agency CMBS in the 200s, and you have agency CMBS, which has been supported by the Fed, trading roughly back down inside of 100. So that's the primary reason why you've seen the discrepancy that you have. Well, thank you for that. In closing, you know, for so many of you that have strong treasury and corporate credit long-duration portfolios, 
we encourage you to think about today's discussion and think about your existing portfolio construction. You know, prior to this crisis, there probably were concentration risks and credit risks that may have felt to be within bounds. But in the current environment, it may be time to review those hedge portfolios. Our key message here is that there are tools in the market that can help identify those risks, and there are asset types that can help mitigate those risks. For institutional wholesale professional clients and qualified investors only, not for retail use or distribution, not for retail distribution, this communication has been prepared exclusively for institutional wholesale professional clients and qualified investors only, as defined by local laws and regulations. The views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any investment in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any forecasts, figures, opinions or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. To the extent permitted by applicable law, we may record telephone calls and monitor electronic communications to comply with our legal and regulatory obligations and internal policies. Personal data will be collected, stored and processed by J.P. Morgan Asset Management in accordance with our privacy policies at https colon slash slash am dot jpmorgan.com slash global slash privacy this communication is issued by the following entities in the united states by jp morgan investment management inc or jp morgan alternative asset management inc both regulated by the securities and exchange commission in latin america for intended recipients use only by local jp morgan entities as the case may be in canada for institutional clients use only by jp morgan asset management canada inc which is a registered portfolio manager and exempt market dealer in all Canadian provinces and territories except the Yukon and is also registered as an investment fund manager in British Columbia, Ontario, Quebec and Newfoundland and Labrador, in the United Kingdom, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, UK, Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, in other European jurisdictions, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe S. A. Grave RL, in Asia-Pacific, APAC by the following issuing entities and in the respective jurisdictions in which they are primarily regulated, J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Asia Pacific, Limited, or J.P. Morgan Funds, Asia, Limited, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets, Asia, Limited, each of which is regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong, J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Singapore, Limited, Company, Reg, 
number 197,601,586K, which this advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore, JP Morgan Asset Management, Taiwan, Limited, JP Morgan Asset Management, Japan, Limited, which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan, the Japan Investment Advisors Association, Type 2 Financial Instruments Firms Association and the Japan Securities Dealers Association and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency, Registration Number Kanto Local Finance Bureau, Financial Instruments Firm, Number 330, in Australia, to wholesale clients only as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001, Commonwealth by JP Morgan Asset Management, Australia, Limited, ABN 55143832080, AFSL 376919, Copyright 2020 JP Morgan Chase & Company All Rights Reserved.